Good morning. I, uh, I just have to say to everyone here, thank you for last night. Uh, if you've had times in your life, I know you have, that were felt surreal. And uh, that's what last night, even this morning, feels like to me, to even imagine that you guys pulled that off and we didn't find out about it. Amy and I were completely shocked that you guys would do something like that. The gifts that you poured out on us, uh, humbly, we accept as a, as a huge blessing. Thank you for that. But uh, honestly, 10 years from now, what we'll remember is the words, the cards, your faces, the pictures last night. Oh, my goodness. B. Adams, uh, Ray Harless, um, um, who, who am I, I you know, Cleston Pritch. I mean, there's pictures of all these people that I love that have gone on before us. And uh, what a blessing you're the one. I, we should have thrown a party for you. That's what I'm trying to say. You guys are the ones. And uh, we love you, and we feel blessed. Amy and I feel incredibly, incredibly blessed to be a part of this church family with you and to raise our children here in this kind of atmosphere where there's love, where there's peace, where there's God's word that we honor, and uh, where we lift up Christ, where the Holy Spirit is powerfully working in our lives. And so thank you. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you guys. Um, the second thing I want to say before we, before we get into our sermon this morning is I just want to say this. Uh, this has been in my notes to prepare for uh, next week. And that is that Brian mentioned Mount Family Fellowship. When, uh, when Jimmy moved away, he had already begun, and not just him, I mean we, us, Gateway, we had begun to do things with other churches in our village. We've probably been doing that for about a decade or maybe 15 years, something like that. And so uh, I asked our elders a couple of two or three years ago, when we do Mountain Family Fellowship, that kind of was Jimmy's thing. Do you still want to do Mountain Family Fellowship? And if you do, what about it belongs to us? What is part of our DNA? What is it that is ours? And what our elders said, and I agree with them 100%, is we want that to be our mountain family. That is, not just the Christians that meet at this building, but the Christians that meet in all the buildings at Gateway that are trying to follow Christ. We want that to be what our mountain family fellowship is about. And so we are following the lead of our elders by five churches coming together at Mountain Family Fellowship, and it belongs to all of us doesn't just belong to gateway and so to that end next week five churches in rudoso will be doing a pulpit swap and there will be five preachers moving to different pulpits or yeah i don't know if it's it's not a pulpit swap really it's a preacher swap is what it is you don't really move the pulpit and so next week i have the great honor of getting to speak at the grace harvest church and i'm very much uh thankful for that honor and you have the great privilege next week of getting to hear from ed benson our brother from Christ Community Fellowship in Capitan. And so I, I anticipate and know that you will treat him with uh, all the love and respect that uh, that brother in Christ is due. So thank you for that. And uh, we're in our series called uh, Good and Beautiful. Good and Beautiful. And we have been doing this for several weeks. We're talking about the church. She is the bride of Christ, the good and beautiful bride of Christ. We've talked about that she's peculiar and that she's encouraging and that she's loving. 
Uh, we talked about several others. Next week we'll have, or in a couple weeks, we'll have a wrap-up and we'll kind of go back through those. But this week, as we begin, I want to start with everybody looking at this. Okay, question real quick. How many of you, when I did that, looked over there? Raise your hand if you looked over there. Okay, almost everybody. Some of you didn't. Some of you are like, I'm not going to look over there. I'm just looking at you. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even looking at you, John. I was almost asleep. All right, thanks for waking me up. So, uh, yeah, when we do this right here, when we point, has some power, doesn't it? Today we're going to talk about the bride of Christ, that she is pointing. She is pointing. This was so funny. Last, uh, last week we had Vacation Bible School here, and it was Amber and Adrian Crow's birthday. You guys know and love Amber and Adrian, and, and uh, so we were going to give them a birthday present right up here on stage during VBS. And so J.E., our youth minister, who, by the way, let's be praying for him and for the kids that have gone to Lubbock. They're at LCU, and they're at Camp Champion, where our youth minister is the director of a camp for several hundred mid-school kids. So that's the quality of youth minister that, that we have living here now. I'm so thankful for that. And so he is, uh, he's there, and, but, but last week he was up here, and he said, he said hey, uh, let's get Amber and Adrian up here because it's their birthday. And so Adrian starts to walk up here, but then everybody realized, or at least us adults and the teens realized, Amber was back here, okay? And so all of you who have little kids, you can cover their ears up. He was a puppeteer, okay? And so we didn't want any of the little kids to know that those puppets weren't real. You know, we want to keep lying to them as long as we can, all right? And uh, so we didn't want them to know. And, and I think J.E. just realized, uh-oh, oh no, Amber's back there. How am I going to do this? And so he said to the whole crowd, all these little kids, look! And everybody turned around and looked back there, and here came Amber. She scampered out, and she came up to the front and just appeared. And he said, oh, oh, never mind. I, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, and everybody turned around. Here was Amber and Adrian up in front of them. And, okay, we sang happy birthday. Well, pointing usually makes people turn and look where we're pointing. And I want to say this to us today. Our church, the Gateway Church, and your church, wherever you happen to go to church, probably those of you that are visiting from Texas, your church, you are pointing at something. We're pointing at something. And a lot of times the world doesn't pay any attention, but occasionally people from the world stop in or they look and see what's going on and they see where is that group of people pointing and then they make a decision. Is that something that really matters or not? Through the years... Historically, my personal opinion is the church has pointed in some places that probably weren't the best places to point, not the most important places to point. The first thing I have in my notes today is that we have traditionally oftentimes pointed at other churches. We pointed our finger and said, bad, bad, wrong, wrong, horrible, horrible. And that's been the emphasis of what we've done when we got together as the bride at church. I'm not saying we should never point out an error. The Bible certainly says that, that we should. And especially if someone is adding to the gospel message. Paul tells us the gospel message is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if anybody is adding to that and doing that kind of heresy, then we certainly should point that out. But beyond that, it's probably good if we would work beside other Christians 
as we work beside them, rub up against each other. And if we would then share what the word says with each other and learn from one another, then I certainly God is going to help make clear to us what we don't yet understand. Most of the time, we probably should take Paul's advice to Titus when it comes to this. Here's what Paul said to Titus. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. That's some pretty harsh words. Unprofitable and useless. And then he adds this verse in here because oftentimes those kinds of arguments are attached to these kinds of people. Not always, but oftentimes. Warn a divisive person one time and then warn him a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Even in the Old Testament, we see this idea about what is most important to point toward. Isaiah said it this way. If you'll do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk... And instead, he says, fill it in with something much more important. Here it is, verse 10. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. That's one of the bad places, I believe, in my opinion, that we pointed. Another place that we pointed that I don't think is a great place that we pointed is at the world in a way that is condemning and judging judgmental like i'm the judge or i'm the one who condemns i'm going to point at the world i'm going to point at people who are out in the world who don't know christ and i'm going to talk about how awful they are and how terrible they are and how rotten they are well look at what paul says in a conversation about a person in the church in corinth who was really messing up bad first corinthians 5 He says, I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And we may go, well, there you go. See, John, we're supposed to point our finger at people who are sexually immoral. Those people out there who are messing up and doing things they shouldn't, we're supposed to point our finger at them. But but listen, listen to what Paul says. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy, swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. Paul isn't saying that we should be out there pointing our finger at everybody in the world. We're supposed to be sharing the good news of the gospel with our friends and our neighbors, the people we work with throughout the world who don't know Christ. What else would we expect from them? Not to go and point our condemning fingers at them. That's not what they need. But now he says, verse 11, I'm writing, you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Paul says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I don't have any fingers to point at anybody outside the church. But, he says, aren't you to judge those inside? We should should hold each other accountable. Verse 13, God will take care of those outside. And then he says, expel the wicked wicked man from among you. Now, if you don't understand and you don't know that story in 1 Corinthians and you you got a problem with whatever and you don't understand what's going on here, check in with me or one of the other teachers or elders here and we'll kind of explain that story to you. But the point is this, our job is not to point at people in the world. That's really not what the church ought to be doing, this good and beautiful bride. Another thing that I think we pointed at, we've tried to change the world by pointing to the government. We've tried to change the world by pointing to politics. We tried to change the world by pointing to Washington, D.C. 
and saying, if we could just get policies changed there, if we could just get the Constitution changed, if we could just get the right people in office, then the world would change. And that's not what the Bible says. Now, I have nothing against any of those things. Those are great. But that's not what the Bible says. Paul says it this way. There is a power that changes the world, and here it is. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness from God is revealed, the righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The power to change the world is in the story about Jesus Christ. That is the power that will change the world. Not pointing to some different hope than that. Uh, One last thing that I think we pointed to, and I think we pointed to this more than anything else, and that is we pointed to ourselves. Look at me. Look at me. It's all about me. And we tend to be people who want things our way, the way they have been or the way that we're comfortable with or the way that doesn't ruffle our feathers, and we want things our way. And not always, I mean, I'm saying that's just human probably, not always, but sometimes this is what I believe the bride of Christ, when we have that attitude, when you adopt that attitude, and that begins to be our story, this is what we end up looking like. Has anybody here watched this show? Go ahead and confess. We'll pray for you. Anybody? Okay. Yeah, a couple of you. I tried. Okay. I tried to make it through like one episode because I wanted to find some stuff for this series. And I thought maybe there'd be some things we could show. There's nothing worth watching there. Okay. Just forget it. All right. Forget the whole. This is, I'll I'll give you the whole, I'll give you probably every episode in just a couple of seconds here. It's about a a bunch of spoiled brats. Okay. That's what it's about. It's a bunch, a bunch of women who think this is all about me, and I want my way. I want my cake the way I want it. I want my dress the way I want you to act the way. I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. It's about spoiled little girls, and they look beautiful, and they are U-G-L-Y, ugly, because on the inside, the beauty doesn't match what you see on the outside. And sometimes, sometimes the church, this good and beautiful bride, has become like that. When we've pointed to ourselves, when we demanded our way, when we've thrown temper tantrums because we want what we want, that is not the good and beautiful bride. And I'm going to tell you right now, today, there's a better place for us to point. Let's pray. God, Thank you. Thank you for our church family. What a blessing it is, God. Just to live together, to serve together. As somebody wrote in one of the notes they sent us last night, God, I felt like it was from you, that we've, we've laughed together, we've cried together, we've fought with each other, we've rubbed up against each other, hurt each other's feelings, forgiven each other. Thank you, God, for a church family. That's what a church family is about. And I thank you for it. I love every single person here. God, I pray. I pray that today that you would be our teacher. Holy Spirit, please 
Help each of us to hear what we need to hear from your word. In spite of me, please, God, help us to leave here not the same as when we arrived. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart might be acceptable in your sight. We pray this in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. Our text today is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. This is what Paul says about pointing. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What should we be pointing to? We should be pointing to Jesus. That's what we should be pointing to. Everything about us. He is it. He is all. The glory is all His. Every single bit of it. He's the big deal. He's our entire reason for existing is to call people to come to Jesus Christ. That we would represent Him well enough that others would be attracted to Him, not us. That is where we should be pointing. That is the goal. And that's what Paul, I believe, is trying to say. He's praying that every single thing we do will bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ and point toward him. And there's three things he says in this text that we're going to look at quickly today. The first one is this, that points to him. Our calling points to Jesus. He says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling What in the world is our calling? What in the world is that talking about? Well, let me me share this scripture with you that you guys are familiar with. I want you to think about Jesus and what he did with these men, with these people. Look at this verse. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night, the whole night, praying to God. Why would anybody spend a whole night? Maybe some of you have. I never have. Why would a person spend a whole entire night praying to God? Well, the next verse really tells us why. Because of the decision that Jesus was making. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Can you imagine being one of those men that day? Can you imagine being called? Can you imagine that your name is the one that gets called out? Tommy White. Gail Bazell. Barbara Buchanan, Vicki Cordova, Jeremy Green, Andrew Bagroon. Can you imagine if Jesus, on his lips, he called out your name? There must have been times when those men felt like quitting. 
when they felt like I just can't go any further, both when Jesus was alive and certainly after he died. There must have been discouraging times, but they remembered that Jesus had had their name on his lips. He called them. I can't quit. He called me. Look what he's done for me. And I want you to hear this clearly. Jesus didn't just pray all night before he called your name. Jesus left heaven. He lived on this earth. He died on a cross for your sins. He was buried. He raised from the dead. He did that to call you to follow him. That is our calling, to be his disciple. And when we answer that call, when we follow him, when we, like John the Baptist, say, remember what John the Baptist said when they said, are you the one? Are you, is, it, is this all about you? No, no, no. This ain't about me. See, that'd be a bridezilla. No, no, no. This isn't about me. That, that'd be like a church that thinks it's all about us and the way. No, that's not about us. That's about him. It's not about us. We must get smaller and smaller and less significant and just down to nothing. We must go away so that he might get greater and greater and greater and greater. That's what john said and when we live that way when we answer that call we bring him glory we we point just like john did toward jesus christ and we are the good and beautiful bride the second thing second way that we point toward jesus is our purpose points to him he says in that verse and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours everybody has a purpose some people think, well, I'm looking for my purpose. I haven't figured it out. But that's really not true. You've already got one. Everybody does. I don't know what it is. It might be comfort. It might be entertainment. It might be money. It might be power. Everybody gets up in the morning and starts thinking about something. Now, I know we've got to think about certain things just because we live in this world. So I've got to think about, you know, cleaning the house and taking a shower and i gotta think about going to work and making a living i gotta think about paying the bills i gotta think about a lot of stuff i gotta think about responsibilities to people okay right i got that i got that but here's the deal somewhere in that day in the midst of all those details we are thinking about our purpose and why we're living and so maybe we're going to work because our purpose is we want to be rich maybe we're living in this home and keeping it clean because we're love material possessions maybe we're doing the things we're doing for the people around us because our purpose is our family that's what our life is all about for the good and beautiful bride of christ the purpose is jesus christ the purpose is to point to him look at what paul says to the corinth church this is what he says he tells us actually what our purpose is he says, now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, basically what Paul is saying is, we live in these bodies and they're getting old, and they're getting tired, and they're getting sick, 
and they're getting weak, and we want to be in our new heavenly body. We want to be in that place that God has been preparing for us. In verse 5, he says this, Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God made us for this purpose. What? That we could just live in this body and have have some comfort and and have some great things while we're on this earth and and have some influence? Is that what he made us for? No. He made us to be with him. That's our purpose. You know, every one of you that's gone to a wedding, you know when the bride walks down the aisle, you know exactly where she's going. Her purpose is not to point out other people. You don't see brides going down. Hey, what's what's up? Hey, how are you? Oh, glad you're here. High five. You don't see brides doing that kind of stuff. Brides walk in the back door and they are resolute. They're walking in one direction. They are moving. They're not using their finger to point, but they're using their feet to walk toward the one that they want to get closer and closer and closer to until they are his. That is the good and beautiful bride of Christ. That is what we have been created for when we live out this purpose on earth right now right this second every step we take toward christ every move we make in his direction then we are bringing him glory we are pointing to christ and indeed we are the good and beautiful bride and the last thing is this three ways that we point toward jesus the third one is our actions of faith point to him because he says i'm praying that every act prompted by your faith i'm praying for those every act You know, for a long time as a Christian, I knew there's certain things as I was growing up that I'm supposed to do and certain things I'm not supposed to do. I mean, I'm a Christian. There's certain days I'm supposed to do this and certain days I'm supposed to do other things. But it took me a long time to put this together. Every action in my life can point to Christ. Every single day. Every single moment. Look at what... Look at what... uh, happened with John, I mean with Jesus and some of his apostles in the book of John. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we'd like to see Jesus. So there's some people who say, we want to see Jesus. I mean, that's their purpose. They're coming. We want to see him. And so Philip goes to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And how will Jesus respond? What will he say? Look at this. I mean, they've just asked. We want to see Jesus. Okay, he's going to respond, right, in some way that's going to make sense. Look at what he says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, pointed toward, lifted up. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus answers, we want to see Jesus. And he says, it's time. It's time for people to see me. And it's going to look like a seed falling in the ground. He says, now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He knows what he's talking about. He's talking about that right there. He's talking about the cross. And then he says, no, no, no. No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And then in verse 32, he says, but I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, speaking of dying on the cross, When I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus is saying, 
that he's showing us, this is how I'm going to point to God. I'm going to point to God by going to the cross. Not by talking about it. Not by singing a song about it. Not by praying about it, but by doing it. By an act of faith. I am going to do something that is going to point and glorify, point to and glorify God. And here's the deal, folks. Every time you die to yourself, an act of faith, you point to that cross and ultimately you point to the love of a father. Somebody says to you, can I borrow your car? And they may not even know. know. What they're saying is, sir, I'd like to see Jesus. They may not even know that's what they're saying. But it's an opportunity for you to say, sure. Sure, you can borrow my car. Somebody says, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm, I'm at the end of my, my rope. Can you help? They're saying, have you seen Jesus? Because I'm looking for him. Yes. Yes, I, I have. Yes, I can help. And yes, I have seen him. And by your actions of dying to yourself at that moment, pointing to this cross, you're saying, look, there he is. He's right there. Somebody says, look, do you have a few minutes to talk? And you're like, no, not really. But instead, you realize they're saying, is Jesus real? Is he real or is this just religion? You go to church on Sundays. You got a few minutes to talk? And you say yes with your ears. You point to the cross. There he is. He's right there. There he is. He's glorifying the Father. Bob Goff is a Christian man who's had a big influence on the Christian world and a lot of people in his life. But at one time, he was just a pimply-faced, lazy, punk teenager. And nobody would ever thought he had had any influence on anybody. As a matter of fact, he was going to drop out of high school when he was about 16 or 17 years old. And he had a dream. He's going to go head out to he's going to head out to california and go out to uh what's the name of that place where half dome is and all that what's that called what's yosemite thank you you always you're like a wealth of knowledge you always know the answer to these questions you even knew that one about the eye thing a few weeks ago remember that okay so uh if you got any questions check in with mike all right but here's the deal so they go to yosemite and he wants to go to yosemite he's going to drop out of school he figures i can get a job i'm 16 17 i got my own car got a few bucks in my pocket and he's going to leave Bob was not a Christian. He's not a Christian man. He didn't have a family that really gave him a lot of support or, or gave him a lot of encouragement or a lot of resources. But he had met this one guy named Randy around his school. Randy seemed to be uh, a little bit older in his 20s. And Randy was always talking to him about Jesus. And he just would say, I don't want to hear about that. But then Randy still seemed to want to be his friend. Seemed to care about him. And so Bob, right before he left, to head to Yosemite, drove in his little VW car, and he stopped in at Randy's house, knocked on the door early in the morning, and here came Randy, all hair messed up, you know, in his shorts, and opened the door. Huh? And he said, hey, Randy, sorry to wake you up. He said, I just wanted to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Yosemite. I'm going I'm to go for my dream. Randy kind of Oh, oh, good. That's great. He said, okay, well, I just wanted to come tell you, and I'll see you later. And he said, hey, he said, hold on. Bob, you mean you're leaving right now? And he said, yeah. He said, I'm leaving right now. I'm going to Yosemite. Randy kind of stood there for a minute, and he said, Bob, could, could you hold on just a minute? Would you wait right here for just a minute? Bob said, sure. Randy left, went inside. About three or four minutes, he came back out. He was dressed had a little small backpack with him, and he said, 
hey, Bob, I'm with you. I'm with you. He said, what are you, what are you talking about? You mean you're going to go to Yosemite with me? He said, yeah. Why not? He said, well, what about, I mean, you got a job, right? And don't you have a girlfriend or something like that? I mean, no, you can't just leave. He said, hey, where, whatever you decide. He said, I'm with you. Okay, let's go. They jump in his little VW bug. They drive a few hundred miles, several hours, and, and they end up at Yosemite with a, a few bucks in their pocket and a couple of sleeping bags and no plan. And they don't even have a place to sleep. So they sneak into the park and illegally avoid the cops and find a place to sleep that night. They wake up the next morning in the beauty of Yosemite Valley. And Bob, young kid, wakes up, man, full of vigor. Let's go. I'm going to get a job. And they start going around to all the places in town. And every one of them, it's the same story. Nope. No thanks. Don't need any help. You're too young. You don't have any experience. Get out of here, kid. No, we don't need... And he starts finding out it's hard to get a job. The end of the day comes. Randy's leaning against the car. Doesn't say, I told you so. Doesn't say, you stupid kid. He just says, well, what next, Bob? And Bob says, well, I, I don't know. I guess we could go sleep in that park again. And he said, hey, I, whatever you decide, I'm with you, Bob. I'm with you. So they go back and they sneak in the park again. The next morning they get up and they go around a few more places and, and his dream is just dying in front of his eyes. I, one guy said one time, you know, the, the ship of a person's dreams running up against the rocks of reality. Well, that's what was happening to Bob. And his dream was crashing. And Randy was right there beside him. And he came out of the last place. He's so despondent. And Randy said, let's go climb some mountains. So they jumped in the VW and they went the rest of the day and they climbed up and lived his dream up in the Yosemite mountains. And they came down that night and he said, what do you want to do? And he said, ah. I guess we could sleep in that park again. He said, hey, Bob, whatever you, whatever you say, man, I'm with you. I'm with you. They slept in that, that park, and, and, and the next morning, they woke up, and Bob laid there, and he thought, man, this ain't going to work. And he woke Randy up, and he said, Randy, I think maybe I need to go home. I think I need to go home. I probably This isn't going to work. I need to get a job. And Bob said, I mean, Randy said, hey, Bob, whatever you decide, I'm with you. So they got in the car and they drove all the way back those several hundred miles and it was quiet and Randy just let him be quiet and let all those dreams just kind of fall apart there in the car. And they got home and, and he took him back to his house. And when he got there, a woman came running out and said, honey, I'm glad you're home and hugged Randy. And Bob began to understand Randy had just got married a few days before this. He was on his honeymoon. But Randy, a Christian, decided that if a seed falls in the ground and dies, if I die to myself, something will grow. That'll point to the cross. That'll point to Jesus if I do that. And so he invested himself in Bob's life, and he said some words that sound a lot like Jesus. Hey, I'm with you. Remember that song at Christmas, Emmanuel, God God with us. That's what Jesus says. I'm with you. Whatever you decide, I'm with you. Let's go. Our actions of faith, our actions of faith will point to Christ. And Paul says all of this, all these things, he says, 
We want all these things to happen in your life. We pray that these things will happen so the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. And then he says something amazing. And you in him. Now a little bit, there's some mystery here that I don't completely understand. Maybe some of you do and you can explain it to me. But here's the deal. Somehow or another, not only are we glorifying Jesus, but this is a love affair that he is also glorifying or pointing to or loving his church loving us you guys know i did a lot of weddings a few weeks ago i complained enough about that and all of them were special and all of them meant something but i gotta tell you one of the most favorite moments in all those weddings was right i was standing right in this spot where my feet are right now and heather and you guys know heather you know her past you know she's been in jail You know that she's given her life to Christ. You see the light of Christ in her eyes. You see the change that's happening. And I stood right here in this spot and right there where my computer is right now stood a man named Russ who's over 40 years old and never been married in his life. And he told me before we walked in here, he said, I I can't believe I found this woman. I can't believe she's going to marry me. I can't believe it. And when she walked through that door right there, he lost it and i'm almost always looking at the bride but that day i stood right here and i looked at him as tears began to roll down his face he couldn't keep it together because that woman was going to marry him and i think we have cleaned up this thing about jesus this kind of you know oh he's coming in and he's just you know you know come on bride come with me no he's in love with us he can't wait For you to be his bride. He can't wait for this day when he sees you face to face. He can't wait for the joy that's going to fill his heart up when he looks at you. When you walk down the aisle. He can't wait for the time when he's finally going to turn around. You're going to see him face to face. And he's going to see his bride face to face. I don't know what to say about that one. I should have put that one in there. But anyways... This is my favorite one right here. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. That is an excited groom. That's what Jesus Christ looks like. He loves you. And when you walk in, yeah, yes, that's mine right there. That's my wife. Someday we're going to be joined. Someday the good and beautiful bride. It's all going to culminate. And just like we sang about, I can only imagine what a beautiful day so may we may we point to him by our calling this week may we point to him by our purpose this week may you and i point to him this week by acts of faith and may we be ready when he splits open the sky and comes back for his good and beautiful bride Let's stand and let's sing. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I 